Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and uh, it's the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem triumphantly. And so we get to celebrate it. I love, I love Palm Sunday. I love Holy. This is the start of Holy Week, kicking off and uh, all the way until uh, Good Friday, and uh, then Easter Sunday next Sunday. And so I'm super excited. I love, I love this time of the year. This time and Christmas are my favorite times of the year. And so I just, it's good. It's good to be with you. It's good to be with the church. Do you know that we are the church? That we don't come to church. We gather with the church. It's important. The church is not a building. The church is people. Amen? So it's good to be with you, and uh, I love to, to gather with, uh, with each other. I hope that you had a good week. Did you have a good week? You survived? Amen. Uh, I, I love the, uh, the changing of the weather. It's interesting, isn't it, the weather here? Why are you talking about the weather? Because I'm going somewhere, okay? The weather's interesting. I was talking to my dad the other day, and he, he told me that someone described our weather right now uh, is that we, we get to experience all four seasons in one day. In the morning, you wake up, it's winter, right? You step out, you're like, it's still freezing. Then by mid-morning, it's spring. Then it's summer, or it's summer by the afternoon, and you're sweating, and you're really questioning your pant choice, you know what I mean? And then, then it's winter, or it's fall in the, the evening. And it's just, it's good, but I'm always confused. You know, when you always, you always wake up in the morning, you check the weather app, but it gives you a full detail of the day, but I still don't know what to wear. You know what I mean? <laughs> I work outside, and it's important that I, I dress so I'm not sweating profusely by the end of the day, but typically I'm always having to shed clothes and stuff. And I, I just kind of, anybody else bothered with that at all, or just me? No one else wrestles with this. You're just like, I put on pants and a shirt, and I deal with it, whatever. Renee, that's what you're thinking? Well, whatever. Okay, Renee, I have nothing to say to you. Okay, it's just about, for me, sometimes I find the weather difficult. I can, I'm confused by, <laughs> by it all, and so uh, sometimes I put on too many layers. Sometimes I don't put on enough layers, and then, uh, and then I look like a fool, like I do right now. Why am I talking about the weather? Well, because... Sometimes we just don't know what to expect, even though we have a forecast. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you think you know what the weather's going to be like, and then it's not at all like the weather person told you. Meteorologist. Is that what they're called? Weather person. In, in fact, even on, on Friday, I uh, went out to work some bees, and I had put an ice-cold a bottle of water in the truck, and I went out and did some work, and then I got thirsty, and by the time I came back to the truck, I thought, it's still going to be refreshing, and I opened it up and drank it, and it was not refreshing. It was hot. It was really hot. It was disgustingly hot. It felt like I was in a sauna drinking the bath water. You know what I mean? It was disgusting, and it it kept me from being dehydrated, but it wasn't refreshing, and so my prayer this morning is that this message would not be like a hot bottle of water on a hot day. You know what I mean? I pray that this word would be refreshing and keep you from getting dehydrated. Amen. <laughs> I should rethink my jokes because they fall flat. Today, today, like I said, marks Holy Week, the week that leads Jesus to freely laying down his life for us and being crucified on the cross. I mean, today, uh, 
signifies over 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem with shouts of rejoicing and praising God. The people were shouting Hosanna and waving, waving palm, palm fronds. And, uh, and they were shouting rejoicing because the time had come and the king was coming into his kingdom. That's what they celebrate. But can I tell you something? What they were expecting to happen was not at all what really happened. The people had one expectation, but they received something completely different in the end. They were anticipating one thing and got something else entirely. Have you ever expected something to happen and the exact opposite occurred? Yeah? You thought something good was going to happen and all of a sudden it turned around and the, most, the worst thing that could happen to you actually happened? Has anybody ever had the opposite where you thought you were going to get fired and they gave you a raise? No, me either. I don't know anybody that's ever had that happen either, but I thought I would throw it out there, you know, because if you think you're going to get fired, you probably are. Okay, so, but sometimes, sometimes what we are expecting to happen, the opposite thing happens, and we're kind of left wondering what really is going on. See, the disciples of Jesus had that kind of experience on Palm Sunday and during Holy Week. They were expecting one thing and ended the week with something entirely different. Why? Why did they expect something that they didn't actually receive? It's because partially Jesus, when he entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey's colt, that's what it tells us in Luke chapter 19, it signified something to the people. See, the people read read the Old Testament on a consistent basis so they knew the prophecies, they knew the prophets, the writings, the historical books, and they knew what it said. And in in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, there's a prophecy about the king of Israel coming, a new king who would set up a new order. And And it says this in Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? And in this chapter, and in chapter 10 of Zechariah, it talks about the judgment of God upon the enemies of Israel and the people, because they saw Jesus riding in on a donkey and knowing prophetic scripture, said this is the king who is coming, who is going to take revenge against our enemies. And now who is the enemy of Israel? Who's occupying Israel at this time? The Romans. And so they think Jesus is coming in and he's going to overthrow Rome. And he's going to set up a new kingdom. Because they're reading scripture and they see he's riding on a, a, a colt, a, a, a foal of a, of a donkey. He's, our king is coming. And so they're rejoicing and they're excited. And they're thinking he's going to overthrow even the corrupt system of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and, and the religious system and, and all the oppression that they put on us. And so they're, they're anticipating something. They're anticipating a war that's going to be coming out. And so they're excited. The king, Jesus, arriving into his kingdom. But even as he arrived into the kingdom, it seemed that Jesus was still sending them some type of mixed signals. Have you ever had mixed signals before? That's how, that's how sometimes we expect one thing and get another. Jesus says that he was, as he was coming down, as you approach Jerusalem, he's coming down from the Mount of Olives. And he says this. 
over, the, over Jerusalem. He begins to weep over Jerusalem with his disciples there with him as they're shouting and, and dancing and praising. He says this in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 42, saying this, Would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And it sounds like Jerusalem's going to be destroyed by what he's saying. Does that sound like a king coming in to conquer would say, the city I'm going to set up my kingdom in is also going to be the city that's destroyed? It seems like they're getting a bit of mixed signals here. Jesus, wait, hold on. Are you going to establish your kingdom in Jerusalem or is it going to be destroyed? We don't really know what to expect. And then right after that, he enters into the temple. He enters into the temple and then he starts cleansing the temple. Flipping tables over and chasing people out with whips that are, that are stealing people's money and selling and doing all these things. The merchants inside the temple. And he says, this, my father's house will be a house of prayer. It will be known as a house of prayer for all nations. And then they think, yeah, all right, we are overturning this thing. We are going to turn this thing over. We're gonna, God is going to establish his kingdom. And so they're not quite sure ex exactly what to expect. And then Jesus comes in and he, he has other plans. Say other plans. Our first point for this morning is that Jesus' plans are not our plans. Jesus' plans are not our plans. How many of you are grateful that Jesus' plans are not your plans? How many of you are grateful that his ways are higher than our ways? That he was establishing a kingdom, but a kingdom that we were not even anticipating or expecting to happen, something far greater than any expectation that we could ever have. His disciples were expecting an earthly king and an earthly kingdom, but Jesus was going to establish a heavenly kingdom as a heavenly king. And it wasn't going to happen by force or hostile takeover. No, Christ was going to establish his kingdom by choosing to lay his life down for us. Make no mistake that Jesus' life was not taken from him. Jesus freely gave it. No one could have taken Jesus' life from him. He chose to lay it down for us. Amen? He chose to give it freely for us. It's the only way that we could actually have salvation. Let's not be fooled to think that the reason we have forgiveness of sins is because just because God loves us and he wants to forgive us. No, there had to be a payment for sin. There had to be punishment given for the sin that we've committed. And Jesus, because of love, went to the cross. But it's because of his blood that God forgives us. Not just because of God's love or else we would diminish the cross entirely. If it was just because of God's love and just because God desires to forgive us that we are forgiven then what was the need of the cross in the first place? Jesus went to the cross to lay down his life for us, and it is by his blood shed for us, his body broken for us, is that then we can have forgiveness of sin. Amen? His plans are not our plans. In fact, 
though Jesus wasn't trying to keep his death a secret. He had told the disciples at least three times that we know of in the Gospel of Luke that he was going to Jerusalem to die. In Luke chapter 18, it says right before he enters in chapter 19, Luke chapter 18, Jesus pulls the disciples away in verse 31 and says to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, speaking of the Romans, and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they did not understand any of this. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. See, Jesus knew his mission. He wasn't confused. He knew what to expect, even down to the minute details. They'll even spit in my face. They'll flog me. They'll rip my flesh, and they'll crucify me on a cross. But guess what? Three days later, I'm coming back. He knew what to expect, but for some reason, the disciples with their expectation, this worldly desire to set up a kingdom uh, 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 of an earthly kingdom, that was so ingrained in their mind that they, would, they didn't even know how to take what he was saying to them. They were so, uh, so wrapped up in themselves that they would even come to Jesus and say, hey, could we, when you set up your kingdom, can we like sit on your right hand and on your left hand? Not even thinking that the kingdom was a heavenly kingdom. They were so concerned about being royalty in this new kingdom that they didn't understand the spiritual implications, even though Jesus told them straight to their face. Whatever expectation that they had clouded their thoughts and kept them in the dark. But aren't you happy that, point number two, Jesus' thoughts are not our thoughts? His thoughts are not our thoughts. He doesn't think the way we think. We think limited. We think small-minded. We think individualistic. We think, we think selfishly. Can I just say it? We think we, we have blinders on. We're like, we're like uh, uh, wild horses that run with, with blinders, not knowing what's to our left or to our right. And we, we don't really even know what God is doing in other places, but Jesus knows. He sees further than we can see. He knows what's coming before it ever arrives. He's light years ahead of us. And he saw the beginning and everything from the end. Jesus knew what to expect. Expectation has a lot to do with this story when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. Jesus knew what was coming, his pain, the torture, the separation from God. That's why I believe in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was, he was crying out and, and, and sweating drops of blood because Jesus, fully man, Fully God. I believe the fully God part was ready, but the fully man part had the, the worry and the tension of being tortured and ripped flesh across his, across his body. And he was crying out to God because he knew what was coming and he wanted the strength to endure it. It was what he was expecting What I also find interesting about where Luke places this third foretelling of Jesus' death in Jerusalem is that Luke sandwiches the story with two other descriptive stories 
of encounters that people had with Jesus. And Luke does this a lot because he's, he's interested in the timeline of how things roll out, but he's also an, an author and he likes to make sure he paints a clear picture of what's going on. So I would encourage you anytime that you're reading Luke and you're reading a passage in Luke that to read what's before it and what's after it because he's probably saying something important that we need to take notice of. And so he, he describes two of these things that sandwich this declaration of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the first one is the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and, and he's asking, how do I get eternal life? How do I obtain eternal life? He's, he's searching to Jesus. He goes to Jesus because he knows Jesus has the answer to eternal life. And, he, and Jesus tells him, keep all the commandments. And the guy says, I've done all that from my youth. So then Jesus tells him, there's one thing you need to do. Because you're a wealthy man and wealth is so important to you, I want you to sell what you have and give it to the poor. And the young guy walks away sad because he has so much wealth that he didn't want to give up his wealth. He didn't want to give up his status. And he would reject the answer of eternal life to maintain his status. After the story of Jesus telling the disciples, I'm going to die, in three days I'll come back, Luke tells another story. On this story, it's the poor, blind beggar who's in the streets begging for food and begging for money. And he hears Jesus passing by, and he takes a hold of this opportunity to have Jesus touch him. He's poor and he's blind, but he has a great expectation for what Jesus can do because he's heard of the miracles that poor from Jesus when he's around. And this man wanted a change of status and was willing to risk anything. And he changed his status and also inherited eternal life. Why do I mention these stories? Because they deal with expectation and limitations that we place on Jesus. The rich young ruler went looking for eternal life and gave it away to maintain his status. The poor blind man went seeking to change his status and gained eternal life. An encounter with Jesus boils down to two things, your expectation and what you're willing to lay down. What do you expect from Jesus and what are you willing to walk away from to take a hold of what Jesus has for you? The rich young ruler was expecting to gain wisdom from Christ but wasn't willing to lay down his wealth because it meant most to him. The blind man was expecting a miracle from Jesus and wasn't, was willing to give it all that he could encounter him. It says even in chapter 18, verse 30, 38, says this, and he cried out, Jesus, son of, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent, telling him to shut your mouth, be quiet. And he risked continual ridicule, and he cried out even more, it says. Son of David, have mercy on me. He was willing to look like a fool so that Jesus would take notice of him. He was willing to lay down everything, the ridicule of those around him, so that he could encounter Jesus. He was willing to risk it all because he was in a desperate spot. And the rich young ruler didn't feel like he was in that much desperation. So he decided to hang on to what he had. 
The question I have for you this morning is what are you expecting from Jesus? And what are you willing to lay down to encounter him? As they entered, as he entered into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday, it says that they took their coats and laid it before Christ and took palm fronds and laid it along the road. They were laying down something for the king to come in. What are you laying down to welcome Christ into your life? What are you laying down on the road, the path that Jesus is seeking to encounter you with today? What are you willing to lay down and say, Christ, come and have your way in me? I'm expecting something, God. I, I need a touch from you, and I'm willing to let it all go so that you can come in and be the Lord of my life, so that you can come in and reign as king of my life. What are you willing to lay down, and what are your expectations on this Palm Sunday? And whatever you're expecting of Jesus, can I say something? Whatever your expectations are, whatever you, how, how big they, they seem to you in your mind, fail in comparison to what Jesus can do. Your expectation, whatever, uh, whatever it might be, however grandiose you think it is, is small for the King of Kings. If, if by the shedding of His blood over 2,000 years ago, one drop from His body can cleanse the sin from the beginning of time until the end of time. For every person who walked the face of the earth and who will ever walk the face of the earth, if His blood, one drop, can cleanse all of that, what more can He do for your situation? How can He move with your expectation? It's not too big for Him. It's not too great for Him to handle. I don't care what it is. I don't care how impossible it may seem. If you need Jesus... To move in your life. Go to Him with that expectation. And be willing to lay everything down before Him. So that you can encounter Him as King. It's small in comparison. But expectation must be coupled with surrender. It must be coupled with surrender. Jesus gave us this model to follow. He came freely to lay down His life for us. So that we could be made alive in Him. And He says, if you're going to follow me, I also call you to lay down your lives as a way of service and as a way of surrender. If Jesus did it, He says that the student is not greater than the teacher. So if He laid down His life, then we also are called to lay down our lives daily. I think it's interesting that sometimes we'll say, I'll die for Jesus. I'll die for Jesus. I think sometimes it's harder to live for Jesus than it is to die for him. I think it's a difficult thing and a complicated thing to daily choose to lay down your desires, your wants, how you want to live your life, the things that you want to do. It's difficult sometimes to lay those things down and say, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. That prayer he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane As he went before the cross, he gave us the model. God, not my will, but your will be done. Point three is this, that Jesus' actions must become our actions. His plans aren't our plans. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. But his actions 
must become our actions. We must follow in His footsteps. We must do what He's done. Before He left the earth, after He rose from the dead, He turned to His disciples and said, Greater things you will do because the Holy Spirit lives in you. We must take on the attributes of Christ. So maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't know what to expect from Jesus. I don't really have expectation for Jesus. I don't know what that even looks like. Can I tell you, you're in good company because his disciples had no clue too, and they walked with him for three years. So don't feel bad if you're like, oh, I don't know what to expect. Good. Don't feel bad about it. Because the disciples were clueless when it came to what to expect from Jesus. But can I tell you, there's a good place to start. And the good place to start is to recognize and to acknowledge that you need a Savior. We all need a Savior. No one is perfect. We've all failed. We've all fallen short, the Bible tells us, of the glory of God. So if you don't know what to expect from Jesus, expect this. That God, you can take me from where I am to where you want me to be. You can, you can deliver me from the heaviness and the burden of the guilt and the shame I feel in my life every day. That's an expectation you can have of Jesus because not only is he a king, he's also a savior. You need to also just cry out to him, God, I don't really know what this is supposed to be like, but I need your help. And I expect that you can do something about it. The one thing that the rich young ruler and the blind beggar had in common is that they knew Jesus had an answer. One decided not to accept the answer. One decided to accept it. That's what your choice is this morning. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that is your choice this morning. Whether you choose to follow Christ or not, you have to admit that he has an answer for the thing that is ailing you. But you have to choose. Will you follow him and be willing to give up whatever it takes to receive eternal life? Or would you say, no, I'm okay with my comfortability where I'm at? That's your decision this morning. The next thing is, how, what are you going to lay down? Lay down your fear, lay down your pride, lay down your uncertainty. What are you willing to lay down? Because expectation is the first thing, but laying something down is another. To welcome into the king, welcome the king into the kingdom of your heart. Allow him to sit on the throne of your heart and be king instead of you. If you're here this morning and you already have a relationship with Jesus Know that your expectation of Him in your life matters to Him. Scripture tells us that we do not have because we do not ask the Father for it. Because you're walking in salvation, that's great, you have a relationship with Him, but talk to Him. What do you need? What, what are the needs of your life? Those are important to Jesus. He wants to hear what's on your heart. He wants to know what you're going through. Because he's walking there with you and he wants to communicate with you. What's going on in your life? Your expectation matters. And your willingness to lay down things is crucial as well. Maybe that thing that you've been wanting or praying for that needs to be, needs to be laid down first. Maybe it needs to die first before Jesus can resurrect it back to life. Maybe laying down Whatever it is in your life that you're needing will demonstrate your trust and faith in Jesus. That He knows what's best for you. I think sometimes trust 
We, we wrestle with trust because we don't believe that God really knows what's best for us. But can I tell you, he does know what's best for you. And whatever you're needing, whatever, whatever area in your life that you're wrestling with or struggling with, lay it down, whatever that looks like for you. If it's confession, if you're wrestling with something and you, it, it has a power over you, it has a stronghold in your life and you don't know how to let go of it, laying it down is confessing it to someone who you know loves Christ and loves you and asking for help so, so that when, when you lay it down, the expectation of Christ's healing can come. That's why James says, you can have forgiveness of sins by confessing your sins one to another. That's the idea of laying it down before the Lord and before others so that you can receive the king. Amen? Maybe that thing you're holding on to needs to die first so that Jesus can resurrect it. For those who are seasoned believers, you've been following Christ for years. For the, for the rest of us, here is my challenge for you. How are you following Christ's example and laying your life down for the sake of others? As believers who've been following Christ for a long time, your mission is the same as Jesus's. You don't have a different mission. Not to seek your own comfort or your own safety, but to lay those things down so that others can find the comfort and safety of Jesus. Sometimes as believers, especially as Americans, we are so wrapped up with safety and protection and comfort that those things become our isolation bubbles and we don't want to reach out and love those who are different from us because we're concerned with safety and security and comfort. But as followers of, of Christ, especially those who've been following for years, Christ calls you to step out of your comfort, to step out of your safety, to step out of your walls of protection so that others can find the protection that is in Christ. That's our challenge for you. Everyone, we have a choice to make today. If you don't know Christ, you have a choice to accept His answer, His invitation for new life and freedom, but you have to lay something down. For those who are following, who have a relationship with Jesus, continue to ask and grow in expectation that our God can meet and supply all of your needs in His righteous glory. For those of us who have been walking with Christ, we know what it means, we've seen Him walk through it, my challenge is for you to step out of comfortability and safety. Put yourself out there because your mission is Christ's mission. We all have expectations that Jesus can far exceed today. And we're called to follow His example and lay our lives down. And if we'll do that, we'll see things that once were dead come back to life in Jesus' name.